Straight from Music City, Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians. This podcast, called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians, focuses on changing the perception of school librarians, improving instructional practices, being a collaborative partner, and essentially just really great library talk. I'm Alyssa Littrell, District Librarian for Metro Nashville Public Schools, and I'll be your host today. Before we get into the podcast, I want to shout out a really cool new presentation tool that I've been using called Buncee. I'll link the information down below. It's just an alternative to PowerPoint that is totally web-based. It has great built-in graphics from Pixel Bay. It has fun animations. I think it has an immersive reader. I think it would be really easy for students to use. Um, It's fun for teachers. It's fun for any presentation you have to do. And I would suggest y'all give it a try. So moving on to this episode, one of the most surprising things to people about Nashville and Metro Nashville Public Schools is how diverse we really are. So Metro Nashville Public Schools is home to more than 15,000 active English language learners coming from over 135 countries of origin and speaking over 145 different languages. This week's podcast features Molly Stovall. Molly is the Executive Director of English Learners for Metro Nashville Public Schools. She's a Nashville native and graduated from Hillsboro High. She went on to attend the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, where she earned a bachelor's and master's degree in human ecology and early childhood education. Two years later, after living abroad in Turkey and China, she discovered a passion for helping English learners. After moving back to Nashville, Molly's first position in MMPS was an EL teacher at Whitsitt Elementary. From there, she became an English language development coach, supporting EL teachers and leading professional development on effective lesson delivery for multilingual students. After becoming the executive director of English Learners, she has built a reputation for developing positive relationships with teachers, school leaders, central office departments, community members, and neighboring districts in Tennessee. I was so pumped to talk to Molly for this episode. Not only is she tons of fun to talk to and has great insight into Nashville's diversity, I love how serving EL students is the same as serving any other population. You get to know your students, you take their background into account, and then you build those relationships. So without further delay, enjoy this episode of Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, like I actually started um, teaching in Knoxville. I went to UT Knoxville, and when I first started, I was sure I was going to be a pre-K teacher. So I did that for one year, and then I decided that really wasn't the direction that I was enjoying. So I um, I actually took some time off. I did some studying. I, I was living abroad for a bit, and then I came back to Nashville and started my work in Yale. So I taught elementary school at Whitsitt Whitsitt Elementary and then started working at the Office of English Learners in 2011 as an instructional coach. And now it's 2019 and I'm here. Awesome. We're so glad you're here. So what's your favorite book? So that's really hard for me and and the people that I work with um, kind of pick at me about this because I read a lot and I enjoy reading a lot so I'm constantly kind of like reading and finishing a book and and I'll reference books and they'll tell me oh my gosh how do you have time to do this but I really do enjoy it so I wrote I wrote down a couple when when I was thinking about this is like (laughs) what's my favorite book um 
So I have like I kind of read like books for my pleasure. I love What Alice Forgot, Where the Crawdads Sing. Um, and then I've also been following the Project Lit series. And so I try to read those as well. So my favorites are Refugee. Allegedly, um, there's also a book called The Newcomers, which I really enjoy. And then professionally, it's hard for me to narrow that down. But something that I often refer people to read to learn more about general EL instruction is called Unlocking English Learners Potential. And potential. And so it really talks about teaching ELs from the beginning and what you need to know and how do you get to know your students all the way to what does that instruction and assessment look like. I think it's really broken down well into helping the, the teachers understand. It gives practical examples. So those are a few. I really want to um, read Where the Crawdads Sing. I've heard it's really, really good. It is good. It was, it was good. I actually started off at, as a beach read and then I had to download it because I just wanted to finish it while we were in the, on the way back. So it was very good, very good. So what does a normal morning look like for you? Well, the great thing is every day is very, very different. Um, at the Office of English Learners, we do a lot of different things. So we um, we are the first stop for many of our families that are registering for school. So at our office, we register and assess students and we help place them at their schools of zone or in particular sites. Also working with teachers around instruction and coaching teachers, but also working kind of building capacity across central office. So I try um, during the school year to really start my day at a school so that I can go ahead and get in there and kind of be in, be in schools. And then towards the tail end of the day, kind of pulling together those other responsibilities. And so um, oftentimes um, there's a lot of meetings in my day, but the meetings really are thinking about how can we ensure that EL students are part of the forefront of the conversation and not at the tail end. And how are we planning, planning for supports for English learners and their families in everything that we do so it's not in isolation, but it's it's part of what we're doing every day. And then there's lots of emails. <laughs> lots of emails. Always emails. <laughs> um, I think people are quite surprised at how diverse Nashville and MMPS actually is. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the diverse student population that we serve? Yes. That is one of my favorite parts about our about this job is working with people that maybe don't know as much about our Yale population. So this is actually like a common question that I get. So we serve 15,400 around there active English learners. So those are students that are not proficient in the language yet. We've increased pretty significantly since last year by about 1,200 students. So of those students, they speak around 145 different languages and are from around 135 to 140 different countries. It kind of varies based on the the day you pull the data. Um, But the population itself is very, very diverse. And so that really makes our jobs more fun and and complex at the same time, because you have to think about that in your planning and also school planning, classroom planning, and district planning to make sure we're meeting the needs of all of our learners. What are are the top countries of um, students origin? Great question. Um, You know, that actually changes, I mean, year to year because of just kind of where families are coming from and situations happening outside of the United States. This year's countries are um, the first country that our top country of origin is Honduras, followed by Guatemala, Mexico, and Egypt. 
So in Nashville, we have a very large Arabic-speaking population that's from mm -hmm. Egypt. And so um, that population is continuing to grow all across the county. Can you talk a little bit about the different levels of English language learners? Yes. So that's really important when you think about English learners in general because all of our English learners are at different levels with their English proficiency. Also, they're at different levels with their native language proficiency, and that's definitely an asset that you want to tap into in any, in any setting that you're working with English learners. So there are five levels that a person would say, um, you know, you might hear somebody say, well, that student's a level one or level two. And so, so what that means is students at levels one and two are beginning levels of English. And they are speaking more in words and phrases. Mm -hmm. And they're still kind of learning both, you know, kind of that basic language a lot of times. Then three, four, and five are intermediate and above. And so those students are really going to have a lot of that social language. They're still learning a lot of that academic language that's going to push them towards profici proficiency. Right now, 52% of our 15,000 plus students are at levels one and two. Wow. So they're at the beginning levels of language. And then the remaining, obviously, 48% of students are at intermediate or above. A challenge for us, though, is that we have 46% of our population that has been in the program for more than five years. So, and that falls into long-term yields once they hit that six, six years. And we want to make sure that we're meeting those students' needs and that we're not you know, watering down content for those students that were really exposing them to grade level content, because if we don't do that, they remain in the program for a longer period of time. So there's this, as a, as a teacher, you're kind of doing two different things. You are supporting your newcomer students that are newer to the language, but you're also making sure that you're pushing those students that are at the higher proficiency to be proficient. Sometimes people are afraid to admit they don't know something about a culture. Um, do you have any resources to share with our community um, for people who would like to become literate and cultural competency, competencies or that they could share with their staff? Yes. So I think your best um, bet is always to ask your students because I think that's one thing that we shy away from is talking to our students about their cultural background and they, they would love to share that story. And so really tapping into what they want to tell you about themselves and where they're coming from. Of course, you don't always want to assume that they're just because they speak a second language that they are not. Many of our students and the majority of our students are from the United States. So um, just really getting to know that student's cultural background. Um, I really encourage folks to reach out to our community partners that to come to their school and help them with these things. So we have um, Conexion America. They are fantastic and they do cultural exchanges type scenarios where it's like really understanding your immigrant population. They also have lots of resources posted on their website that, is, that are really great. Um, Tennessee Immigrant Refugee Rights Coalition is another group that has a good amount on their website and also would like to come to schools or have meetings with folks over the phone um, or face-to-face -to, -face to talk about those serious groups. And then we have lots of organizations here, Islamic Center of Nashville, um, Saladin Center, where you can learn more about the cultural groups in Nashville. So I would say, I know people shy away from it, but don't just ask because that's really what we need to do is we really need to be tapping into the assets of our students to 
get to know them better so that we're better able to serve them so that we know what they know, know what they've experienced, and then we can bring that into our curriculum and, and better serve them. You're absolutely right. Um, so the school library can be an intimidating place for new students, especially EL students. What advice do you have for making it a welcoming place for students and families um, that may have never utilized this resource? I guess you what you want to think about and first is you have to, the library may be something that they've never experienced in their own country. So really helping them get that orientation for them to know what it's all about. Um, not necessarily assuming that they would know what to do in that, in that structure. And sometimes I think when we, with our middle and high school students in particular, because we're, we're used to working with students who have been in school right. since kindergarten, we have to really help our students um, utilize those resources. In a, in a library, in a school, in a classroom, having things in multiple languages is always a very culturally responsive practice that will help a student. They may not be able to read the signs and labels in that language, but they know what their language looks like. And that really creates this, okay, this this is a culturally responsive and accepting place. This is a great place for me to be. Looking to have books and posters up that represent all cultures, I think Mm -hmm. is really important too. And I know that's hard to find, but we can also take pictures of our students in various situations to say this is what this looks like. But... Ultimately, you want to make sure that things in the library represent all students and really taking that proactive approach to try to find books that also look like our students but help build knowledge as well. Something that I've really been working with some of our schools on is really thinking about finding text in different languages Mm -hmm. at all varying levels. Um, All students like to take home books that they can share with their parents And so it's, you know, there's not some, there's nothing wrong with having a book that if you're in a middle school and it's an elementary book and the child's able to take it home and share that experience with their parents or their younger siblings, but we have to validate, validate a student's first language. We want them to be literate in both languages. We don't want them to lose that first language. And ultimately we want them to be able to read and write in their first language. Mm -hmm. So the library is really a great place where we could help our students do that. That's not something that our teachers are necessarily equipped with doing, but looking for those books that are in multiple languages, this is a great way to do that. And there, we're really starting to see a lot more of those books come out. Mm-hmm. And so really trying to say, okay, if, you know, you have a large population that speaks Spanish. What books can we get that are in English, but also in Spanish? And really taking that proactive approach and encouraging our students to read and write in their first language. A lot of times we shut it down and we're not using that as an asset like we should be. Actually, it is very difficult to find print materials in certain languages. So I feel like Spanish is becoming more popular and easier to find as well as Arabic, but um, I know schools that have a high Kurdish population. I mean, what I have been doing in the sense of finding language books in varying languages is just ultimately finding there are resources available. It may not be the best text that we've ever read right. or one of the you know most popular texts, but if they have text in that language, going ahead and getting those. Because again, it's that validating their language and that, hey, oh my gosh, this library is a place and this librarian has tried to really look for texts that I can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, I would say that there are a lot of resources now that offer 
first and second language supports. So kind of looking what texts can you find online that maybe read texts in various languages. I think when you think about like really stocking your library, though, is thinking about how can we build background knowledge of our students and we can get these high interest texts that students can connect with that they are interested in that can help maybe fill some gaps some experiences they have not had in their lives not as a deficit lens but ultimately the experiences that we're experiencing in the united states are different than the experiences in honduras Mm -hmm. recognizing that and so how can we help connect students with books that will build their knowledge and background and make them be better readers so they are building that background so what would you say a successful um, EL literacy program looks like at all levels? Um, and what are some strategies you would recommend for librarians? So what um, the, this is a hard piece because an EL literacy program, we have, we have two jobs as an EL teacher or teacher of language. We have to expose students to grade level literacy. We have to expose them to grade level text so that they're able to know what to do with those materials. But we also at the same time have to build their foundational skills in order to reach those texts. So when you think about what does a a really great literacy program look like um, in a classroom or in a library, my thought would be that um, the librarian is really connecting with the teachers to following that scope and sequence and knowing what the teachers are supposed to be teaching content wise mm-hmm. how can i supplement your classroom with more texts at with varying sets of, to help supplement your text set so that you're able to continue to build that knowledge of your students where yes we are supposed to have an understanding of this one text and one concept but what other concepts would the students need to understand and know more about to get a better understanding of our essential question and how to reach that Um, I think that's that's the overall goal of an EL literacy program is that your English teachers and your EL teachers and your librarians are working together that we're all saying how can we build students knowledge together how can we make sure that we have exposure to rich text to build background so that we're all working together in the same direction. So there are several schools in South Nashville in particular that have, but their te- what their teachers are doing is, so a teacher in high school and middle school, high school in particular, has an EL teacher for on A days, an EL teacher on B days, and then is also sometimes seeing an EL teacher during PLT. So during one of those days, they're most likely following the English scope and sequence. On the second day, that EL teacher is finding texts from the library using limitless libraries, using other resources that are going to build background knowledge for that student to be able to access that English one content. And then some of those working with their LTDSs and their librarians to build sections in their libraries that have texts in both languages that accompany those a, a text that they're supposed to be covering. I have some schools in particular. Um, Glencliff High School is working on this a lot. Apollo Middle School is also starting this. Like, how can we make sure that we're all working together in, and to, to do this? Awesome. I, I would say we're all at the beginning stages of it, but recognizing that's something we want to do and putting forth that effort um, makes a big difference. I would say so. I, I love that it's starting. 
Um, so many of us haven't been trained on serving EL students. What would you say to educators to help us build relationships with our EL students? So I think the first thing you always want to do is from the, if you were, if you're a teacher in MNPS, like you need to go into our system and learn more about the student, learn where they're coming from, how many years they've been in school, research what their schooling was like where they previously have come from, so that you can figure out what funds of knowledge the student is bringing with them. Because that's what the key piece is in building those relationships. Next phase is going to be for you to understand the student's language proficiency level and where they are, whether they're a level one to a level five, what that language production looks like. So when you're engaging with the student and when you're when you are, when you're reading with the student, when you're helping them select a text, you're able to keep in mind their language level so that you can pair them with a text that's really good for them. So getting to know your students, both their cultural background and then also their linguistic background is gonna be the next step that you're gonna think about. Then if you're actually teaching a lesson based on their language proficiency level and the, the output that you know they can have, what supports do you need to put in place so that you can take away that language lift for them and they can still experience the same content? Ideally, though, what we all want to make sure is that we're thinking of the from the lens of scaffolding up and using grade level content and grade level text instead of watering that down. So in the past and what we're continuing to work on is the text that you're exposed to, the text structure, the complexity of that text, your language output is going to match that. Mm-hmm. So if you are a ninth grader and you're only reading texts that have short sentences with watered down vocabulary, your language output is going to look like that. So right. really thinking about what input are you giving to the students so you can help them increase their output. It sounds like having high expectations. Yes, that is and- like having, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but, um, you know, recognizing that a lot of our students have literacy in their first language. And with literacy in their first language, the transfer to English is very quick. Recognizing and getting to know how much literacy they have, what they've learned, and helping them make that transfer. This podcast is called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians. But we also know that it's a lot of hard work. Um, So what advice do you have for school librarians, especially those who want to change the perception of librarians? Well, I think by going back to that building relationships piece, getting to know the cultures and the students in the building, building relationships with the students, but also when you know enough about the students, you can then help teachers find text that support their curriculum that also kind of mirror the students. Mm-hmm. We know that everyone is just so, so, so busy, and so we don't always have time for everything, but because librarians do have ex- access to so many resources and great texts, Getting to know students is going to be a great way for you to help and support teachers and pair students with with things that they are really interested in reading. Um, Something I I had a librarian that was really good about like staying on top of the curriculum. And so she was great when I was at Witsit and she would bring books in to me and say, you know, hey, I know you're doing this. This would be a great. I found these for you. And so what I appreciated about that was just building that relationship with the teacher and realizing mm-hmm. that, you know, keep those um, those communication channels open. Another thing, as I think, is just 
really recognizing that our teach our EL teachers and content teachers do need help in building background. So if you're thinking about um, you got a, a biology teacher mm-hmm. and a student that's been in the country for two years, all of that science content that maybe that student needs a refresher on or hasn't been exposed to. So how can, as a librarian, you can help that content teacher build these sets in their classroom that not necessarily they're reading to the class, but the student has access to picking up and, and, and doing that. But I mean, ultimately, relationships are the key to any success. So mm-hmm. building relationships with students, teachers, and then familiarizing yourself with the needs of the curriculum, I think would be a great first step.